Welcome to Nutria Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhardt. Our guest today is, without question, one of the most successful film actresses to come out of Nutria's Performing Arts Department ever. Virginia Madsen has appeared in over 75 films and dozens of TV shows, including Frasier and, as a diehard Trekkie, I cannot believe that I forgot this, but an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Virginia, welcome to Nutria Performing Arts Stories. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you so much. I'm very, very happy to be here with you. I want to talk about your very impressive career so far, but I want to back up and as I do with all of our guests and start at Nutrier and and talk about your experiences there. How do you think that Nutrier influenced you and your career in the performing arts? Well, it, you know, was not an easy time for me in life to to be a teenager and to be in high school because I was in a big hurry to get to my career. And I was very, very, you know, I had a very single-minded nature when it came to what I wanted to do as a professional actress and very bound and determined to make that happen on film. So Nutrier, you know, seemed to be, you know, preppy and, well, it was preppy. But I was sort of a fish out of water in a way. But what the school did was give me freedom to study in my chosen profession. And that's how I would put it back then. I can study my chosen profession. And it gave me so much freedom with everything from what I studied to how I studied to having really a couple of extraordinary teachers, one that you've interviewed that everyone will probably have a story about, Suzanne Adams. Everyone mentioned Suzanne. Oh, God. She, what an influence. She was so inspirational. And she was one of those teachers who just recognized who I was, even though I was such a kid. But she recognized something about me from the very beginning. And she let me exercise that. She let me be myself. There was no trying to fit me in someplace. Even with my, the way that I dressed and my curly hair. And, you know, that was all not what girls were supposed to look like then. And nothing was rejected by Suzanne except for lack of discipline. Like if you didn't read the play, you didn't rehearse, you were unprepared, you didn't work on your voice, she would call you to task. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're not getting on the stage today because you're not prepared. So it was this early lessons in being prepared. I mean, that's just one thing. I felt when I went down that hallway to go to her class that I would breathe and I would be prepared. And it it was very serious theater to me to study with her because she was my first teacher in my profession. And I was, I took everything that she taught me and I went on to study with Ted Liss, who was a big teacher in Chicago, who had been Suzanne's teacher. And my sisters, my older sister's teacher, very controversial in many ways, 
But like, I was just on this course with her. Uh, And, you know, I think that I would say most of us have had an influential teacher, whether it was fifth grade or 12th grade or your, you know, semester in college. Everyone's got that one teacher that stands out as, oh, that I... I learned from that person. They were so, you know, you still, I still idolize her. That's the thing. I still, I think we all do. I think that's, yeah. and she, she is that yeah. one teacher for, for so many. And I think that's one of the reasons she always comes up. Yeah. And you know, it's not like Nutrier made it easy. When I say that I had freedom to study my profession, it was a very rigorous curriculum and it was not an easy school to attend. One thing, it was huge. Second of all, there was a definite hierarchy and a preppiness and uh, all the social things. Everybody has this in high school. But there, I it was particularly hard for me. And so when I say they gave me freedom to study what I wanted to study, it was still within the boundaries of what you would need for uh, a really tough graduation. Like you had to be... You had to come up, you know, to a certain standard to graduate. So, and I think that discipline was ultimately worked for me because I tried to think of it as a a professional endeavor. You know, <laughs> in the time that we were there, Nutrier was one of the most academically rigorous high schools in the country. It is still to this day in the top two percent in the nation, but in the seventies and eighties, it was often in the top 10 in the nation. So yeah, I I, yeah. I remember that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I sure you do. I remember the academic rigors. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and I I think that's why I'm really grateful for their theater department. Really grateful for those teachers that I had that really helped me. Really supported me like as a as a very young person. I was surrounded by a a whole group of teachers that really, you know, you felt understood. And for a school that large, you could see why you might get lost in the shuffle, but I wasn't. I think what happens is, listen, a lot of bad things can happen to you as a teenager and, you know, you don't fit in and all the artist stuff that we go through. (laughs) Um, I'm sure you did too. But with the perspective of age, after, a, you know, probably a certain amount of therapy, but like <laughs> once, you, once you get to be in your 30s and better in your 40s, you kind of thought, oh, someone was mean to me and they were 16 and so was I. Like, I can't be mad at that person. You know, a, a lot of things I was able to outgrow different hurts you have. I don't carry any of that anymore. And it's not that I'm just rose-colored glasses looking towards my past. I'm able to really acknowledge what that place did for me. And that's big when I was really, I really struggled at that age. And so when I was in my 40s, was looking back on what was afforded me at that age, I'm very, very grateful because I may have not belonged there, I felt. And a lot of artistic people 
feel that way, or maybe every teenager feels that way. But when I was able to start really seeing, especially when I would go back to visit and like maybe speak to an acting class. And I did that a few times. And Rusty Schwimmer, who was my best friend at the time, Rusty and I went back, oddly named distinguished alumni. <laughs> and I, I think that's completely fair, but we'll go. Go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. But that was very funny to me. And when we walked around the halls together again as grown up women, and we both got really teary eyed because of what the school gave to us and the freedom it gave to us. So I'm, I'm always going to want to go back and visit. I'm always going to be grateful for the freedom that I did have that I didn't even know I had. It is a, it is a truly remarkable and amazing place. I mean you're re, you're re- revisiting your past every every week. <laughs> yeah. You're, fact, you're, I, and I I understand the curiosity so many young people that went on to have incredibly successful lives whether it be theater or sports or politics or whatever. I mean this was a this is a really amazing place to have gone to school olympic athletes nobel prize winners we've we've got them all <laughs> i mean like what would they what's what did they say what's in the water there <laughs> it's it is well it's it's there's something do you have a favorite new trier performing arts experience and if you do which one what is it and why oh gosh you know I've been thinking about that and going over it, and I'm not sure I can come up with one. I loved working on the crew when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. That's when I met Rusty and Jean and Anne, you know, my other friends. I think probably the importance of being earnest. You know, our costumes were not wardrobe. They were costumes. Mm-hmm. And they, we, and, and I believe... I don't think I'm wrong about this, but that we rented them from like a Broadway costume house. In fact, they did. Yeah. And and this is another thing that's kind of unique about Nutria. In the in the very first podcast in the first season, John Gean and I talked about this. The budget for some of these shows, the costume budget was, and this is in the 1970s and 80s, was in the tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> per show. And they would literally send people from Nutrier to New York and they would find what shows were coming off of Broadway and they would literally get the actual Broadway costumes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's they were they were real live. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, and we had seamstresses, we had makeup artists, we had and Sometimes I would just hold, you know, the costume and realize that this had been on Broadway. And I knew I wasn't going to go to Broadway. Maybe I thought maybe when I'm a grand dame, I will go on Broadway. But my love was film. And so I would hold these costumes and smell them and look for traces of makeup and wonder who had worn them. And as a kid, how exciting is that? Right. You know, and then getting ready and and being on a stage that big with an with a theater that enormous with a balconies and like it. How many how many 14 year olds get to perform on a stage with a 50 foot tall cyclorama? Right. Right. 
And talk about learning to use the the vocal skill. We didn't have microphones. Right. We didn't have microphones in those days, <laughs> I tell you. We had to use our voices. And we did. We right. were required to learn how to do that. And I'm so, I'm really amazed that I got to have that, knowing that I wasn't going to go into theater, that I had that experience and that training and I was good. Oh, yes, you were. <laughs> but, you know, they they held me up and to, to tell me how good I was. And I remember my, my mom, of course, who was always there every step of the way in my life. And I remember my dad came to a play and he wasn't likely to do that. He thought, I think he thought then that maybe this was, you know, a hobby. But I don't know. My mom must have convinced him to drive all the way to New Trier. And I remember him walking towards me backstage. And he just had this sort of look of wonder. And he just, like, held my shoulders for a minute. And he just said, how the hell do you remember all those lines <laughs> oh god kid you really got it you really got it kid and I had a hundred percent supportive mother and family members as well but for some reason hear that from dad because he heard me from the audience and saw me in a giant theater and he never questioned my desire to be an actor because he'd experienced that so this stage experience extends to your family as well. Well, and and you come from, by the way, and you have you have an enormously talented family. You are you're you're one of many. That's I, I'm so grateful that you chose the importance of being earnest because, uh, as we discussed the other day, that is sadly for me because of our our age difference. You were leaving as I was arriving. That is literally the only time I ever saw you perform on stage. Oh, is that the you figured out that's the one and oh. and so I'm, I'm so grateful that that was the one you chose so like oh cool that's the one i still have a few eight by tens that i got one time when i went back to visit and i know they used to have someone up some of them a couple of them up in the hallway well of course in the old yeah in the old mu in the old music building which of course was torn down for the one of the new additions yeah you're right in the hall for m182 theater and m183 they used to have Oh, the, the pictures of performances and performers and and it was sort of for for me it was it was kind of like the hall of heroes you know <laughs> to kind of walk down and and to look at these pictures and yeah yeah i mean it's just amazing that they had that available like i don't really remember the history of the gaffney we we talked about that in the first podcast with john and, and the this guy by the name of doc peterman and his vision to turn nutrier into a place ultimately that would produce you uh and 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 people like you that was literally this one man's vision was to was to systemically create that environment and with the help of people like robert boyle and suzanne adams and a, a literal host of others how did they how did they know how important this was to kids how did they know that yeah, that's a really, really good question. It's one thing to have a theater, but to have a Broadway theater equal, equal to that. 
In your high school, right. In your high school. Yeah. And I, and I don't remember, do you remember what year this was built? Late 50s, early 60s. Wow. Because my, my stepmom is the class of 58 and was right it was right around Ann Margaret's time and I believe relatively in that in that time frame. I always wanted to meet her. I always wanted to know what Ann Margaret's experience was in you've got to find her. Now that I've had you on the show, she is definitely now right at the top of the the list of people that I've still got to get to. So Yeah, because she is, you know, God, I'm such a huge fan of hers. And she's still working and, you know, her strength. I'm sure they would not let her have that when she was a very young girl. Neither did I. They wouldn't let me have strength in my career then. But boy, she's got it in spades now. So you found your way from Nutrier to Hollywood. So you go from being a you know stage trained actress at Nutrier to suddenly you were in a, a, a your first film was a film called Class but then amazingly you show up in Hollywood and no smaller name than the amazing David Lynch casts you as a princess in Dune which is one of the greatest sci-fi epics of all time and so how do you how did you find the transition? What was what was the hardest part? What was it what was it like to go from the the stage acting that you had done into film work, which was obviously what you would you would really wanted to do your whole life? Well, suddenly you're there. How did that transition work for you and what was what was it like for you? Well, I I had been studying voraciously reading and studying in Chicago with a man named Ted Liss. And I knew that I was going to get the kind of training that I would need to lead me into a career. And Susanna had studied with him. And so when I came out, I felt very prepared. And I think when you're that young, you're so brave and you don't know you're brave because you're still so vulnerable but I felt prepared. I may have been scared, but I was prepared. So I was ready for auditions. I was ready for general meetings. I was being shown around town like a party favor sometimes, but I had meetings and I got an agent. I had a manager and I was just really, really driven. I was incredibly optimistic as I still am, but Midwest people have that optimism, you know, like, well, of course, it's not as if, it's not if I'm going to make it, it's when. And I was chosen and that movie Dune kicked down doors and suddenly everyone wanted to know who I was. Everyone wanted to meet this pretty busty girl from Chicago. And yeah, they called me that. You know, it was like, oh, the, now the newest hot thing. And I hated that. I really hated that. But I was grounded enough that I could take it. And so it wasn't that there was an adjustment. It was just the next step up the mountain. And there's a certain, I think Midwestern people have a certain work ethic that's sort of 
taught to us at a very young age, and I don't care where you are on the financial spectrum, there's going to be a work ethic that we learn there and growing up there. And I took that here. So I was ready. I was ready for everything and anything. It's frustrating because I understand the frustration that you felt with being the, you know, the hot babe of the week kind of thing because of the objectifying nature of that and the nature of the business to some degree. And yet I also don't want to walk away from the reality that you were and and still are, but particularly in 1984, when we're talking about this time, you were stunningly beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it was hard not to, it would be dishonest to, to not notice that about you. And so it, it must have also been difficult for you as an actress, because in a way you realize that that is part of what's opening doors for you. But at the same time, it, there, there must have been a sort of a dichotomy or a, a, a push and pull in your own head. Was it harder to deal with being the pretty girl or was it more like, OK, you know what, that's what fine if that's what you see. But, you know, wait till you give me the job and you see me act and then you'll see what I've really got. Is it was it like that or I, I think it's all of the above. You know, thing is, I'm really close to my family. And so I never felt alone. I think when you come out here, you try to go into this industry and you're and you don't have a close family or chosen family, you don't have like a circle of strength around you, then you're going to be in trouble. So you must find that circle because it really did help me. And, you know, I couldn't help the perception of me, but what I hated the most besides being objectified, because all young people are objectified. They, they, they all are. It's a very visual industry. And we're all objectified because we're super young and we may not know everything, but we might know more than them. But what bothered me besides, you know, the come-ons and that kind of stuff that goes on was being underestimated because of the way that I looked. And that goes on both sides. The boys have it too. And those who are a larger size, their object, you know, their bodies are a larger size. They're objectified for that. Like you must be funny. I mean, it's, it's really cruel. So you got to have some guts if you want to do this, but I hated being underestimated and that's always going to bother me because I know who did it and I know how many of them did it and they were wrong. And I think because of my close family and friends, I knew they were wrong. Well, and we're going to get to how wrong they were <laughs> and how we know that. But we're not going to do that today. Because Ms. Madsen and I still have a lot more to talk about. Including her work in films like Electric Dreams, The Astronaut Farmer, and, of course, her Oscar-nominated performance in Sideways. But that's next week. Until then, New Trier Performing Arts Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives, LLC. It is written, directed, produced, and in this case, lovingly and painstakingly edited by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhardt. For those living in the New Trier area, a reminder that the 2023 Winter Play will be performed tonight, 
tomorrow and Sunday, December 8th, 9th, and 10th in McGee Auditorium on the East Campus. Also, the Winter Vocal Jazz Concert will be held in the Hayes-McCausland Theater this coming Wednesday night, December 13th. And finally, the performing arts season will close for the holidays with the High Five Winter Sing in Gaffney Auditorium on Thursday, December 14th. For more information about our podcast or to suggest a guest or sponsor, please email info at NutrierPADStories.com. And again, please join us next week for part two of my very special interview with actress and Oscar nominee, Virginia Madsen. Until then, thanks for listening. Please hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.